Jared, thank you for the very kind invitation. Uh, who, the answer is always yes, by the way, whenever you invite me. Uh, I don't even pray about it, I don't. <laughs> I say yes and then I say thank you, Lord, for that invitation uh, because of my love for this church, my history uh, with this church. I, I would walk here, actually. Uh, I would. Uh, I w and in some ways, walking might be wiser because if, you have, if you've ever driven with your senior pastor, that can be an adventure, okay? <laughs> that can be an adventure uh, because Jared is, is very animated. He's very excited. When I got in the car yesterday, when he picked me up from the airport because of my past experience with him, I told him, do not make any eye contact with me whatsoever. <laughs> 10 and 2, and you just, because I know this is going to be exciting because for some reason, Jared still doesn't know how to get from the airport to where we are right now. Total mystery to me, but he does not know. And so he's got his GPS talking to him. And even then, he's not at times just say, hold on, I've got to listen. I would say, you, you need this to tell you. So it's a very exciting drive uh, because he's, he's very caring. He's very interested. Those, you don't want those people driving you, all right? Those people sitting somewhere else in the car. You want somebody driving you who really maybe doesn't care about having a conversation, but they're going to concentrate on the road. Uh, so, <laughs> but I would walk here to spend the time I spent with him last night. Uh, hanging with Jared, learning from Jared is a unique gift to this aging pastor. And he brings this aging pastor great joy. And that pastoral prayer this morning, wherever the other Jared is, uh, <laughs> was very kind and very meaningful and just blindsided me over there. So thank you. Uh, and thank you, uh, really. Uh, I feel like when I'm here, I want to represent everyone else in Sovereign Grace. And so many of them you've not met yet and yet you hold a unique place in their hearts. And so in some way, I want to represent them and reflect how grateful they are for your influence and for your example, which extends not only to Sovereign Grace churches across the country, but around the world. What the Lord is doing here is wonderfully unique and sweet and strategic. Uh, and you are serving churches beyond the borders of this geographical location. And so in some way I come representing those people and want to communicate how grateful they are for you. And that would include your most recent church plant. So once again, you've sent out someone, you sent out Nick Kidwell, you sent out choice people, some of your best people, because you want to advance the gospel. Um, you're about mission. Uh, and so that example provokes the rest of us who are studying you and studying you carefully. So thank you for 
your example. Please turn in your Bible to Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 5, where our attention this morning will be devoted to verses 16 through 18. If you are not familiar with the website, the Babylon Bee, it's not a surprise to learn and hear that a number of you are, they describe themselves this way. The Babylon Bee is your trusted source for Christian news satire. The Babylon Bee is a Christian website that publishes satirical articles on politics, current events, and religion. If you're familiar with The Onion, it's a Christian version of The Onion. They are very insightful, and they are often laugh out loud funny. Recently, they posted their eight handy Bible reading tips. It reads, quote, it's not always easy to crack open the Word of God. You've got more important things to do like browse TikTok. So it's important to have a plan of attack to make sure you read the Bible, at least a little bit, every day. Luckily for you, your friends at the Babylon Bee are way more spiritual than you are. And today we've got some hot tips for your Bible reading. Number one, consider getting a hip translation with cool words like yeet and sheesh. <laughs> How can you experience the eternal word of God if it's not cool and hip? Number two, get an audio Bible read, get, get an audio Bible read by William Shatner. <laughs> Number three, make sure to set aside at least seven seconds a day to read the Bible. It's important to dedicate a few short seconds to the Lord before you spend the rest of your day on social media. Number four, spend most of your devotional time trying to get a good picture of your Bible next to a cup of coffee for your Instagram. And now that you've got a few seconds with the Lord, spend the entire time live tweeting your devotions and getting that perfect Instagram shot. Number five, look for creative ways to rip verses out of context and make them all about you. Number six, when your kids try to interrupt you, shout, not today, Satan. <laughs> Number seven, underline the entire book so no verses feel left out. The more underlining, the more spiritual you are. And then number eight, whenever you read a really convicting verse, make sure to apply it to everyone else instead of yourself. This is an important one. If you read a verse that convicts you of sin in your life, just think how much Becky from Bible study needs to change her life instead of you. It's better this way. Our passage today is very brief. Though brief, it's really convicting stuff. First Thessalonians 5. 
verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I am convicted every single time I read this passage or when someone else quotes this passage. And my temptation can be to apply these commands to everyone in my relational world rather than apply them to myself as God intends. So if you are like me this morning, join me in resisting that temptation. And let's discover afresh how God has graciously given us these convicting commands for our good and ultimately for his glory. And let's consider how we can apply them to our lives. Beginning in verse 12 of chapter five, Paul concludes this letter addressing daily life and the congregational life of the Thessalonians as the new community God has created through the proclamation of the gospel. And what is striking about this concluding section that begins in verse 12, concludes in verse 22, is that we are met with a barrage of brief, simple commands, some 19 in all, count them. Paul goes in this section, all gas and no breaks in communicating one specific, potent command after another. This is how the gospel that creates the church is to shape the daily life of the Christian and the local church. And this is Paul at his personal and practical best. These commands are informed by his love for the church and his knowledge of, his, of the church. And his purpose is to strengthen this church. In verses 12 and 13, he addresses their relationship with their leaders. In verses 14 and 15, he addresses their relationship with each other. And in our text, verses 16 through 18, Paul addresses their relationship with God himself in three distinct commands. Each of these commands and all of these commands are informed and inspired by the gospel that is central to this letter, which Paul has been declaring and celebrating from the first chapter of this letter, where he reminds the Thessalonians of Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So God's love in rescuing them through Christ and him crucified precedes and informs these commands. The obedience of the Christian to God's commands is in response to the relationship that God has created by his grace. So these commands and our obedience to these commands don't 
create our relationship with God, but instead they regulate this relationship. And obedience to these commands displays the transforming effects of the gospel in our lives. I like how Brian Chappell describes this in his book titled Unlimited Grace when he writes, through the blessings of grace, Walking with Jesus is no longer a forced march of merit, but a willing response of love, gratitude, and thanksgiving. Oh, that is well said. Obeying these commands, my friends, is not a forced march of merit, for we are forgiven and justified and accepted by God only because of the merits of another, only because of the merits of our Savior. So obeying these commands is what loving devotion to the one who rescued those deserving wrath looks like. And these commands, listen, these commands, they are kind invitations from God. These commands are kind invitations from God to grow in our devotion to God and deepen our affection for God and find satisfaction ultimately in God and in God alone. And these good and wise commands from God himself, they are meant, they are meant to lift burdens from our heart, not add burdens to our lives. Here's what I think I can safely and accurately assume this morning. All of us arrived with burdens. All of us walked through those doors. All of us made our way from the parking lot through those doors into this auditorium with certain burdens. Oh, they may have been burdens that we cast as cares upon the Lord even as we approach the facility this morning, but they are the kind of burdens that easily and quickly returned. All of us came here this morning with burdens. Your burdens are most likely whatever you are thinking about as I make this point this morning. But whatever burdens are presently distracting you or possibly weighing you down, these commands are a gift from God to lift those burdens from your soul. It's the purpose of these commands, the purpose of these commands, the effect of these commands on our soul is to be present and pronounced as we leave this wonderful location in a matter of minutes. We are to be making our way to our cars, skipping and running and dancing because of the immediate transforming effect of these good, wise, and gracious commands as gifts from God and kind invitations from God to lift those burdens that God does not intend to weigh us down. So whatever burdens you brought with you this morning, these commands are a gift to you, a gift from God himself. 
to lift those burdens from your soul. So let's, let's, let's welcome, let's welcome the sweet gift of conviction where appropriate. And by the way, let's resist and dismiss even the slightest whisper of condemnation from the evil one about our failure in relation to these commands. Actually, I don't think it's the commands to rejoice, pray, and give thanks that we find discouraging. I think it's actually the comprehensive nature of these commands that we find challenging and discouraging. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. I think it's the comprehensive nature of these commands because at, at, at first glance, they, they appear to be unrealistic, do they not? They, they appear to be impossible to fulfill, but I think that is because we have misunderstood these commands. Actually, the comprehensive nature of these commands is good news to us because it means there is no moment or circumstance, no moment or circumstance, these commands don't apply to our lives with life-changing potential and potency. So my friends, with eager anticipation for the difference obedience to these commands, grace-motivated obedience to these commands can make in our lives, let's consider these commands individually. First, rejoice always. It's a remarkable command. It's a remarkable command, particularly since the original readers are suffering. They are suffering and enduring persecution for the sake of the gospel. And by the way, they have been from the moment of their conversion. And it appears that the Thessalonians didn't expect this persecution to endure or to continue. But it did. And that was unsettling to their souls. Paul addresses this and encourages them in chapter 3 with these words. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions because they were being moved by these afflictions. For you yourself know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. So this command in 5.16 reminds them of their duty to rejoice always even as their experience of affliction and persecution continues, to rejoice always and not just when circumstances are favorable or enjoyable. By the way, this was one of the distinctives of their conversion. Their, Their conversion, one of the distinctives of their conversion was their extraordinary experience of joy in the midst of suffering that Paul reminds them of in the opening chapter when he writes, for you receive the word in much affliction, and notice, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. 
So Paul does not want their prolonged experience of affliction and persecution to rob them of the joy, the very joy that characterized them at their conversion. They needed this reminder in chapter 5, verse 16. And if they needed this reminder, I'm saying, so do I. I'm saying, so do we. And they have many reasons to rejoice. They have many reasons to rejoice always. In his commentary on 1 Thessalonians, Charles Wanamaker explains why they have many reasons to rejoice always. He writes, although Paul does not spell out the source or basis of Christian joy in 5.16, the instructions to rejoice always derives its meaning from the earlier passages in the letter. Pay careful attention to this next sentence. To rejoice always is to see the hand of God in whatever is happening and to remain certain of God's future salvation. Without such conviction, joy would not be possible in the face of affliction, suffering, and death. So they are commanded to rejoice always because, because, well, because God is always at work in their lives. And Paul has already modeled for them how to perceive the hand of God at work and rejoice in the hand of God at work from from the outset of this letter in the very opening verses, he reflects back on his experience with them, and he identifies the hand of God at work in them in chapter 1, where we read, we give thanks to God always for all of you, remembering, remembering the hand of God, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So the hand of God at work in the Thessalonian Christians informed Paul's outburst of rejoicing at the very outset of this letter. And if you are a Christian, God commands you to rejoice always because his gracious hand is always at work in your life, providing you with something to rejoice in, beginning with your salvation. So, since the gracious hand of God is always at work in the life of the Christian, there, my Christian friend, there is always something for you to rejoice in if you and I are paying attention. If we're paying attention and we know what to look for, there's something to rejoice in because God's hand is always at work. I think, think the Puritan Thomas Watson has accurately described both our temptation and tendency too often, and he's also provided the remedy well in his book, The Art of Divine Contentment, when he wrote, Our tendency, see if you can't identify with this, our tendency is to pour over losses rather than ponder our mercies. Is that, that, can you identify with that? I can identify with that. That that is left to myself. My temptation and tendency is to pour 
over my losses rather than ponder our mercies. By the way, that's one of the countless benefits of our gathering each Sunday. Because if we have been pouring over our losses over the past week, well, we, we come here not to pour over losses, but to ponder his mercies. That's one of the sweet benefits of gathering together each and every Sunday. So this is the tendency, this is the temptation. I think we awaken with this temptation and tendency each and every day, left to ourselves, pouring over our losses rather than pondering our mercies. And then he gives the, gives the remedy. I love this. I encourage you to memorize this. A gracious heart spies out mercy in every condition. A gracious heart spies out mercy in every condition, spies out mercy in every condition because there is mercy present in every condition, even in a suffering condition. So this command to rejoice always, what, what is it teaching us? It's teaching us to spy out mercy in every context, in every circumstance, in every condition. So. Here's the applicatory question that I'm sure is obvious to you. Where do you see the merciful hand of God at work in your life, even if you are suffering, actually, particularly if you are suffering, like the Thessalonians? Where do you perceive the merciful hand of God in your life this morning? Because here's what I'm certain of. The gracious and merciful hand of God is at work in your life. If you're a Christian, the gracious and merciful hand of God is at work in your life. Here's the only unanswered question. Do you notice it? That's the only question left unanswered. Are you paying attention? Do you notice? Do you perceive it? Are you looking for it? Or are you pouring over preoccupied with and pondering your losses. If you look for his hand, my friend, you will see it. You will see it because it is definitely there. In his book, The Mystery of Providence, John Flavel wrote, he who observes providence, in other words, he who studies providence, will never be long without a providence to observe. That's exactly right. So let me recommend, let me recommend this week that you devote some unhurried time. Actually begin today, why postpone this? Devote some unhurried time today and then throughout this week, just carefully observe, note, write down if necessary, the providence of God, the sweet providence of God in your life and recognize the many ways the gracious hand of God is at work in your life. If you do that, it will not be difficult for you to rejoice always because God is always at work giving you something to rejoice in. He is always graciously We are those who are richly deserving of his wrath because of our sin. Instead, he did not spare his own son in order to spare us that wrath. It is this 
gracious and generous God who has not only saved us from his righteous wrath against our sin, it is this gracious and generous God who is at work in our lives each and every day, providing us, providing us with what we don't deserve so that this command really isn't difficult to obey. We rejoice always because he is always providing plenty to rejoice in. And by the way, when you apply this command, it will only deepen your awareness of his gracious and generous hand in your life. It will deepen your your affection for him and his graciousness and generosity, which we do not deserve. Second, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. I, I think this command is an easy one to misunderstand because, it, well, it can appear like this is impossible to obey. I mean, like, how impractical is this command in light of other responsibilities and tasks. I, Lord, I do have a job. How, how am I supposed to fulfill this because they aren't paying me to pray, okay? <laughs> Listen, there, there are many days where I am committed to and fulfill walking as a form of exercise. Yes, my friends, it has come to that. Um, <laughs> yes, it has. At a much younger age, I used to laugh at those I drove by who are walking, and I would mock those I drove by who were walking, not only because they were walking, but how they walked. And so everything about walking was just, yeah, not appealing. I'm an athlete, and I would think arrogant thoughts like, it'll never come to that for me. I, walking as exercise, no. We play sports, we work out. We don't just walk, and I would drive by those people thinking, are they fooling themselves? Do they really think walking is a form of exercise? It's not a form of exercise, I would argue. It's, it's walking, that's all you're doing. So don't deceive yourself into thinking, yes, I'm exercising. No, you're not. I see no sweat. It appears to be little or no effort. So that, that was CJ in his ignorance and in his arrogance. And now all kinds of studies have been done, and it, lo and behold, it appears that, that walking is just on the short list of the most effective forms of exercise. Who, who knew? I didn't know. So I'm yeah, committed to it, been committed to it for a few years now, you know, whatever. The, well, it started out 10,000 steps a day, so I was committed to doing that on most days. And then, of course, you start to read different articles. And they you know, read an article down to 8,000. Who, by the way, who is determining the different? I don't understand. Actually, I did. I just read an article recently. 5,000. I mean, we're downgrading this <laughs> as years go by. And I have no doubt that next year or somehow in the future, I'm going to read that those who do walk prematurely die. You know, I mean, it's going to be something... <laughs> You never should have walked at all. <laughs> it's like all those coffee studies, you know? Just don't drink it, people are dying. Well, then they reverse it. No, they're living longer than ever. Drink up. <laughs> if, if I read in an article where a health expert said, walk without ceasing, 
Well, obviously that would be bizarre. That would be bogus. That's not, that's not realistic. My friends, that isn't what Paul is commanding here. There is a place, yes, a definite place for set times of prayer, for the practice of unhurried, undistracted prayer. And for me, that practice, well, that practice is ideally, that practice ideally takes place in the morning and it prepares me for actually the application of this command throughout the day. But don't misunderstand, Paul, Paul is not commanding them or us by implication to be devoted to the uninterrupted practice of prayer because actually that would contradict what he's previously taught in this very letter about the importance of work and other responsibilities that make up the realities of daily life. So this doesn't mean that we are devote every waking moment to the practice of prayer because that would mean neglecting other God-given responsibilities we are commanded to attend to each and every day. And Greg Beale in his commentary helpfully describes what this command is meant to produce when he writes, during daily activities, we must focus on the task at hand, but we should never lose sight of God in our spiritual peripheral vision. Oh, that is well said. So this is a call to prayer that isn't restricted to a certain time or location so that we never lose sight of God in our spiritual, peripheral vision throughout the day. So our practice of prayer is not limited to prescribed hours. No, actually our practice of prayer should permeate our daily lives. So this command really is a kind invitation from God. Listen, this is a kind invitation from God to enjoy communion with God not simply during a fixed time in the morning, but throughout the entire day and evening. And I need this command. I need this command as my companion as I make my way into another busy day because this is a command, this is an invitation to commune with God. To com How good is this? To commune with God anytime during the day and all the time without neglecting other God-given responsibilities. In an article titled, Don't Ever Stop Praying, The Refreshing Privilege of Unceasing Prayer, Scott Hubbard makes this point, I think he makes it very effectively when he writes of this command. If prayer is merely an activity to do, then pray without ceasing will sound oppressive. But if prayer is communion with God, communion with this Father, Son, and Spirit, then we will hear the command differently. Here's how I think we are meant to hear this command. Enjoy God without ceasing. Depend on God without ceasing. Gain strength from God without ceasing. And find that he is ever near, always faithful. Oh, oh, my friend, I, I hope, yes, I hope you hear this command differently. If you previously heard it inaccurately, I hope you hear this command differently this morning. This command is about communion with God throughout each day that isn't confined to a certain time or location and doesn't require that I be on my knees or even bow my head. And for applying this command to my life, 
I've really found the wise counsel and practice of Charles Spurgeon to be so helpful in obeying this command. Mr. Spurgeon wrote of his practice in applying this command, I always feel it well to put a few words of prayer between everything I do. Oh, that that has served me for many years now. And by the way, if you know anything about the life of Charles Spurgeon, (laughs) here's what I can assure you. Regardless of how busy you are or think you are, Spurgeon was busier, okay? Unless you're a mother of small children, you aren't as busy as Charles Spurgeon, okay? And yet, throughout his full days, he prayed without ceasing, and his example and practice is very much worthy of imitation. And did you notice what he said? Did you notice? Just a few words. Just a few words. It's all that's necessary. You aware that Martin Luther argued that prayer ought not be long and elaborate, so much as frequent and fervent? That's just wonderfully practical. You can do that by God's grace, can you not? For the rest of the day, you can do that. I don't care how busy Monday is for you. In between whatever you are doing, surely as you walk. By the way, no one even needs to know you're praying. This isn't something, you know, it's not in the middle of a staff meeting in, a, in whatever context you're in. You have to say, excuse me, I'd like to, could I just insert a few words of prayer? No, you, you can be doing this without in any way offending anybody or perplexing anybody or drawing attention to yourself. No, I could be looking at somebody and not even listening to anything they say. <laughs> and you know who those people are. Yep, you got full eye contact, but that's all you're getting right now because blah, 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 blah. But I can use this time to just include a few words of prayer, even if it's just, Lord, help me. Help, help me. I need help. You, you, know, you know these people. I need help, okay? More importantly, you know me and you know my wayward heart. Help me, Lord. I depend on you right now. I I sit here in this context doing this work, not relying on myself. I depend upon you. Lord, I need wisdom. Thank you so much that in James 1, you promised to give it and give it generously. Here I am again, countless, countless number of times, asking you for wisdom. Please give me wisdom. That's all, just a few words of prayer. It's all that is necessary. So, my friends, let's draw near to God without ceasing. Let's enjoy God without ceasing. Let's depend on God without ceasing. Let's let's gain strength from God without ceasing, and let's experience the nearness of God without ceasing by praying without ceasing. Third, Give thanks in all circumstances, verse 18. This, this, is another, this is another stunning command, stunning command in light of their harsh circumstances. The command doesn't mean that we are to concentrate, work hard, concentrate on giving thanks every moment of the day. No, it, it means that in the midst of every circumstance, whether good or adverse, In the midst of every circumstance, we are to give thanks to God. And by the way, 
When you obey this very simple command, when this command is obeyed, it, it, will, have a, it will have a profound, heart-altering effect on your life. It will. When, when you obey this command, whenever you obey this command, it will have an immediate, discernible effect on your soul in relation to God, and I can assure you of this as well, others can't help but notice and maybe even be drawn to Christ as a result. You go ahead, you test drive this command yourself. Test drive it yourself, I've test driven this. It proves reliable each and every time. Test drive it yourself and see if this isn't so. Gratefulness, giving thanks to God for his graciousness and generosity is to be a distinctive in the life of each and every Christian. Gratefulness is to be the observable effect of the gospel in the heart and the life of the Christian. The Thessalonian Christians, and each of us by implication, are to give thanks in every circumstances. In all circumstances. So there, does that mean there's no circumstance that exists where this doesn't apply? That's exactly right. There's no one exempt here. There's no circumstance that exists where this doesn't apply, listen, for your good, ultimately for God's glory. And by the way, so there's no misunderstanding. It does not say for all circumstances. We're not thanking God for the effects of sin not thanking God for the effects of sin that we experience in a fallen world. However, a Christian is to give thanks to God in all circumstances. Why? Well, because he is sovereign and good and wise over all our circumstances. We are to give thanks in all circumstances because he is at work in all of our circumstances. He is minimally at work sanctifying us and conforming us to the image of his son for his glory. So in all circumstances, we have plenty to give thanks for. I like what Edmund Heidbert writes in his commentary about this command. He writes, the Christian should meet the adverse circumstances of life, not with a stoic resignation, but with a spirit of unfailing gratitude. Oh Lord, by your grace, work that spirit in our lives. A spirit of unfailing gratitude. So question, question, this is so relevant. How do you meet the adverse circumstances of life? If you aren't presently experiencing adverse circumstances, adverse circumstances await you. There will be nobody exempt from adverse circumstances in this fallen world. And in some way tomorrow, you will encounter adverse circumstances. How will you respond? Stoic resignation or unfailing gratitude? Ceaseless complaining or unfailing gratitude? There is always something to give thanks for. There, actually, let me add to that. There's always plenty to give thanks for. 
in all circumstances because why? Why, CJ? Because behind these commands, God is at work in all circumstances. In his book on suffering, author Paul Tripp reminds us of this when he writes, I have learned that no matter how hard a day is, there are more beautiful things in that day that I should be thankful for, and there are reasons to celebrate the love of the one who gives them to me. There are, that's exactly right. So that, that's, that's, that's part of why this command is given. It's given so that we might learn that no matter how hard a day it is, gonna have some hard days, no doubt, this week or in the near future, but no matter how hard a day is, Here's what a biblical worldview, here's the transforming effect of a biblical worldview. No matter how hard, I'm not minimizing hard days, folks, not in any way minimizing. I know there are a number of people in this room, you are suffering and you are suffering severely. Please do not misunderstand. I am not minimizing your suffering at all. But I do care for you and about you. So I want to deliver this command to you because it's a gift to you. It's a gift to you meant to have, when applied, a transforming effect on your life. And this command communicates clearly to us and is confirmed throughout Scripture that no matter how hard a day it is, even this very day, because God is gracious, and generous, there are. If you learn to look for them, if you learn to perceive them, there are beautiful things in your life today that you should be thankful for. And there are most definitely reasons to celebrate the love of the one who gave them to you, no matter how hard a day it is. So this command is yet another expression of God's kindness to us. Do you know why? Well, because it directs our attention away from trials to the many different ways God is graciously at work in and through trials. So it's a gift to us. It, it's a kind invitation, kind invitation from God to consider and give thanks for his undeserved kindness that is present and pronounced in our lives each and every day. So, as the famous and familiar hymn exhorts us, count your blessings. Yep, and it continues. Oh, name them. Name them one by one. And the hymn continues. And see what God has done. Oh, that's exactly right. Count them. Count them individually. Count them. Add them up. Count them, name them one by one. Because if you count, you'll be given sight, the gift of sight to see what God has done. All those who count their blessings receive the gift of sight to see what God has done, and then they are surprised at all that God is doing. So if you don't count them, if you don't name them one by one, you will not perceive them, and you won't be you won't walk around surprised at what the Lord has done. So too often, I don't see because I've stopped counting. We went through a 
particularly challenging, difficult season, Carol and I, in our lives. And, and as we were challenged with all manner of temptation and very much vulnerable to the sin of just ceaseless complaining, my dear wife, who, well, from the time we met, has always been more mature than I. We met, I was, we were married, I was 21, she was 19, but actually, I was 13 and she was 30 something. I mean, just the, it really, yeah, that was the difference in the maturity level. Spent a number of years trying to catch up with her and pass her. Never happened. I've given up. Just give me credit, I married wisely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep, married somebody more godly. Woo. Thank you, Lord, for blinding her so that she said yes. So she wanted to get out ahead of this, seeing that this was going to be a season of challenge and difficulty. And so she said, I'm, I'm going to make up a list. I'll make up a list of all the ways God is blessing us. So she began to make a list. Yeah. It wasn't three or four days later, because the list just kept growing. I, I actually started to resent the list. She'd want to show me the updated list. And, and so, you know, I feigned responding. Oh, yeah, let's look at it. But, but it was part of me that just said, you know what, I'm not interested in the updated list. I, hey, hey, love, I got another list for you. you know? <laughs> I got a list of pondering our losses. So let's, no, that's, she wasn't doing the ponder our losses list. She was naming, counting blessings. And with each passing day, pages were added to it. And so I began to read it regularly and, and really devotionally and just realize how blind. I'd been blinded by my complaining to all the blessings. She was spying out mercy in every condition. I was spying out reasons to complain and going through that list as it accumulated, page after page, convicted me. It was kind of the Lord. Positioned me to obey this command, to look through this list each day, new items added each day. You know what it reminded me? Oh, CJ, you are doing so much better than you deserve. And oh, CJ, you are not doing worse than you deserve. If you don't count, you're going to remain blind and you're going to be vulnerable to all manner of complaining. So this command is meant to provoke us to count, to make sure we don't forget to count. And then Paul makes it clear that rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances. This is not simply his recommendation. Did you notice the phrase that follows? For this is what? This is the will of God. Yeah, not a trick question. This is the will of God. This is the will of God. This isn't Paul's preference. This isn't simply his recommendation. No, no, this is the will of God. So Paul grounds these commands in the authority of God himself. And in his commentary, Gene Green informs us why when he writes, 
the reason the apostle gives for this call to joy, prayer, and thanksgiving is the strongest and highest imaginable for the Christian. These are not optional, secondary characteristics of the Christian's existence, but they stand at the center of God's plan for his people in Christ Jesus. Been serving in pastoral ministry for many a decade now have often been approached by people who are attempting, attempting to discern the will of God in their lives. It's related to an understandably important decision. Could be marriage, could be vocation, could be a major decision where they have options, they need wisdom, they need clarity in the midst of uncertainty. Here's good news for any and everyone who finds themselves in that place and position this morning. We aren't left to speculate, we aren't left to wonder about what is the will of God for our lives in this passage. We aren't left to wonder what stands at the center of God's plan for us. Rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks, they are at the center of God's will for the Christian, not the periphery. So, good news this morning. You don't have to wonder or speculate about what is God's will for your life because the center of his will is wonderfully plain. It is not complicated. It is not mysterious. The will of God for our lives begins right here with these commands. And by the way, I don't think you can expect to discern the will of God for a particular decision if you are ignoring or neglecting these clear commands about the center of God's will for each and every Christian. So this is how we are to orient our daily lives to the good and the wise will of God. And we aren't done yet, almost, but you gotta take special note that this is God's will for them in Christ Jesus. So obeying these commands is only possible because of Christ Jesus, because of what he has done for us and within us, applied to us by the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So obeying these commands is only possible if one is in Christ Jesus, if one is in union with Christ. Those ones separated from him are joined to him through the new birth and what Christ has done for us is applied to us and within us through union with him. Only those who are in union with Christ, empowered by Christ, can gladly obey these commands. And my friends, don't, don't you love how the Lord rolls? I love how the Lord rolls. God does not issue commands without empowering us to obey the commands. And it's all because of Christ, and it's all for the glory of Christ. So for those united to him, this is God's will, empowered by God's grace. And then finally, ooh, do not overlook, there's a concluding phrase, do not overlook the concluding phrase. What's the concluding phrase? Yeah, not a trick question. For who? For you. Oh my. I love how this closes. Love how this section of commands closes. Because that phrase, for you, it, it personalizes these commands. In effect, each of you is being addressed by God himself by name for you. God himself is making eye contact with each of us this morning. He, he's saying, it's, this is for you. This is for you, sir. 
This is for you, ma'am. This is for you, ma'am. This is for you. This is for you. And you in the back row, this is for you. So God is making eye contact. These commands are from the gracious God who rescued you from his wrath by not sparing his own son. And these commands They're from God, for you, for your good. So in this final phrase, the Lord makes eye contact and says to each of us this morning, please don't misunderstand these commands. They are for you. I mean you only good by these commands. These commands are for your good. These commands are to lift burdens from your heart that have the tendency to distract you and weigh down your heart. These commands are to deepen your knowledge of me, your friendship with me, your affection for me. They're for you. They're for your good. And ultimately, they're for his glory. How kind and generous of our God. Let's pray. Father, how kind of you to inspire Paul, lo, these many years ago, how kind of you to inspire, divinely inspire Paul to pen these commands to the Thessalonian church with us in your peripheral vision, with this day, with each of us in mind for our good and your glory. I pray that as we leave this place and apply these commands by your grace and for your glory, they would do their wonderful sanctifying work in our lives. They will lift burdens from our hearts and they will display the transforming effect of the gospel for all to see. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.